All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells. Merry Christmas, Brian. Merry Christmas to you, too, Corey. And uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all of our wonderful listeners. We had another fantastic year in 2020, and it was a tough one. Not a lot of sports for a good portion of the year, but we came together at the end of the you know, in, in August or so, as uh, the NBA, the NHL started up, the NFL was getting ready to get into it, Major League Baseball was underway, and we, we've been able to power through and have a lot of great episodes of sports content coming your way. And uh, in today's episode, we won't necessarily be doing a holiday theme, but we will be recapping just some of those uh, moments, the best and the worst from an extraordinary year. Uh, Before we get into that, we will be counting down our top five biggest NFL storylines for week 16 and 17, as this is the last episode we will record this year. And you won't be hearing from us again until the playoffs are getting ready to start. And the NBA is also underway, so we'll be talking about the new season, some of the big extensions that were signed, some of the bigger storylines with uh, superstars that are either making their debuts with new teams or looking to get to a new team and of course we'll give lots of predictions so with that let's get started Last episode of 2020, Brian, it's been a crazy year, that's for sure. Crazy is an understatement. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll be excited to kind of talk about some of the stuff that went down in the sports world, but before we get into that, let's start with the NFL. And when we came up with our initial top five storylines, I had wrote them under the impression that the Pittsburgh Steelers would beat the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday Night Football. That didn't happen. Uh, it was really an embarrassing loss. Fell behind 17 to nothing. Ben Roethlisberger with one of his worst performances, arguably in his entire career. And now the Steelers have lost three in a row, and they haven't even clinched the AFC North despite having multiple chances the past few weeks. And I feel like I just need to talk about what's gone down and just how I'm feeling before we progress any further because it is still fresh in my mind. We're recording this the day after it happened and I, I really don't know how to feel at this point because for the entire season, I knew that the Steelers weren't maybe like far and away the best team, even though they were undefeated, had the best record the majority of the way. But now I'm kind of throwing out whether or not they're a Super Bowl contender, I don't even know if they can win a playoff game. I don't know if they're going to win again this season after winning their first 11 games. Like The offense has just been that horrendous. The defense has just been hit by so many injuries. Devin Bush early in the season, Bud Dupree recently. Every linebacker seems to be going down. 
And I just, I, I don't really know how to have any kind of positive expectations for the rest of the way. And it's, uh, it's very frustrating just given how I was feeling, how we were talking about this team a month ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that they did eventually lose just as a Patriots fan. I want them to be the only ones in our, in our time to have that undefeated season. And I didn't think the Steelers looked like a 16 and 0 team. So I'm glad that they did eventually lose, but yeah, it's now now it's not looking good for them to not just make a Super Bowl, but can they even win a playoff game? And if they, oh, well, they can obviously get there; they already clinched. But can they win the division now? I never thought that'd be in, in in talks. But if if they are tied with the Browns, or if they're by week seventeen, if the Browns are still in it for the division, they play them in week seventeen. Yeah, at Cleveland too, like. It it just it feels like this season has just taken a horrible turn for the worse that nobody in in Pittsburgh, no Steelers fan saw coming. And I don't know how much of it is just the the defense has gone worn down and like that's that's why this team doesn't feel that, I, I think like it's that a, great, but I think it's a big part of it because technically they haven't had a bye week if you think about it. No, the, one, that, the bye yes. week that they did have they were practicing all week for Tennessee, but because Tennessee's had that had their COVID outbreak, they had to keep practicing again for the next week. And so they technically, if you think about it, they haven't had a bye. They and never had. Four they're not going to get the off. bye now. Now that they have three losses on on their on their record, and Kansas City, I don't see losing many more games in the regular season. So no, there's no chance for to the one seed at this point. Yeah. Yeah, the Steelers aren't going to get a bye. I mean, the only way the Steelers could get a bye is if they just rest some of their starters in either week 16 or 17. I don't even know what you do because Ben Rosberger, I don't know what happened to him. Like, early in the season, he wasn't all that great on the deep ball, but the offense was able to make it work, and I guess eventually defenses have finally figured it out, and the Steelers haven't adapted the offense, but Ben doesn't look like he can pass the the ball however he wants it to anymore. The combination of... Having no running game whatsoever, given that uh, Connor has been out for some games, and even when he's been in lately, he's he's sucked to be honest. And Benny Snell, Benny Snell hasn't done that much better. And he's he's what thirty eight years old, and he's coming off elbow surgery uh, just this past season, and they're relying on him to throw forty times a game. That's not a good combination whatsoever. No, and it, it's like. I'd, I'd been clamoring on the the last episode before the Buffalo game. Try to go deep. You know, run plays. You you can win without running for a hundred yards every game if you have a lot more variety in your passing attack. But unfortunately, but another thing eight, is they, he had eight passes of fifteen plus yards and only completed one of them. And the, and the receivers lead the league in most drop passes this season. Yeah, and like the drops drops weren't really even the problem on Monday night. Like there were some balls that maybe they should have caught or you know were more catchable than uh they they ended up being but drops weren't an issue drops were a problem against Baltimore they were a problem against Washington they were not a problem against the Cincinnati Bengals it was it was on Ben if you're gonna put a singular person out there and I, I don't know if it's fair to totally put it all on him I think that the entire offense is a problem I don't know if it's the offensive line if it's the receivers if it's the running backs if it's Randy Feigner the OC Mike Tomlin the head coach like Juju doing his TikToks like is that all that it takes for these teams to come out and just totally shut down the defense or the offense because they're pissed off like 
I, you know, and I don't have a problem with him doing that. Like, I don't care if he's going to go out and make his video content and post it for the world to see. But if you're going to do that, you can't have three catches for 15 yards and a, a huge lost fumble early in the game that just gave Cincinnati a lot of momentum. Like, a wild stat about Juju he has 95 TikTok videos. The most receiving yards he's had in a game this year, 93. He's has, he has more TikTok videos wow. than his season high in, in receiving yards this I year. Actually that's, wouldn't that's not have, good. No, I actually wouldn't have guessed that he hasn't had a game above 100 yards this season. Like, I love Juju. He's been my favorite player, especially after you know the all the Antonio Brown drama that went down. But I, I don't really see how the Steelers are going to keep him beyond the season unless he's totally killed his value and just from his his performance uh but it's just it's frustrating just with with the way that you know 2020 was going and the way that things are looking into 2021 and it's like I want to sit here and I want to be able to make fun of other teams I want to be able to make fun of the Rams for losing to the Jets and I'm like I I feel like I can't do that because this was also the Bengals I want to be able to make fun of the Eagles for having Carson Wentz on a giant contract but I can't do that because Ben Rossberg is a 41 and a half million dollar cap it in 2021 like I want to be able to I mean I guess I've 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 ripped on Tom you want Brady to make fun of the for not being Patriots able to throw fans the ball. for not making. Yeah, the I want it right, and it's like okay, is the Steelers are gonna get in as a wild card after starting eleven and zero, and like is that is that any much better? Like, you know, I Tom Brady, I've I've ripped on him throughout the season for not having a deep ball. Like I said that, oh, he's gonna waste his receivers in Tampa. Like they're not gonna be great, and he struggled throwing the ball deep, kind of like Ben Rossberger has. But he's had plays like against Atlanta this week. They fell behind twenty-four to seven, and Brady was able to air it out in the second half. He led that big comeback. Ben Rossberger couldn't do that. It's just, I don't know. It's it's just frustrating looking at this team, and like I I have no reason to be optimistic right now. Like I want to believe that Philip Rivers is going to go into Heinz Field on Sunday and. 34 degree Pittsburgh weather whatever ends up being and he's going to struggle and the Colts offense isn't going to do anything in the Steelers defense but I can't believe that Ben Rossberg and the Steelers offense can take advantage of the Colts defense who's arguably better than the Steelers probably now with Dupree out of the lineup like the Steelers are 0-3 since he got hurt and it's just it's not the same team that started out the season so strong and it it feels like their recent performance is just validating all the people who are saying worst eleven no team all time they're frauds like they're they can't beat Kansas City like all this stuff and it's like right now yeah this Steelers team can't that wasn't the same Steelers team that you saw playing in September October November but this team in December for whatever reason has just totally fallen apart and I don't really see how you get it turned around overnight. But at the same time, I don't know how it totally fell off overnight. So who knows? You know, they, they played the last four games. Which, I mean, they, they lost three in a row. The Ravens game against their COVID practice squad might as well have been a loss. All four of those games were played at unconventional times on unconventional days. Like they played one Sunday night game. They had a, two Monday night games. They had a Wednesday game. I don't know if having a, a Sunday one o'clock game like they had most of the season is going to do any better, but... I mean, that, that's all I have for hope right now, I guess. And uh, it's frustrating, but, you know, I think I think that's enough. Hopefully I'll have better things to say when we're in the playoffs, but I don't know if I have reason to believe that. And uh, I guess speaking of playoffs, let's look ahead to the final two weeks of the regular season. And 
<laughs> I, I guess we'll uh we'll we'll treat this like a normal top five and we'll we'll count down our biggest week 16 and 17 storylines in today's top five not two not three not four top five top five top five all right so should we go backwards you know make it like a real top five and start at number five yeah sure why not all right so number five biggest storyline can the jets reclaim the number one overall pick from the jaguars and the jets i I mentioned this earlier they beat the rams on sunday huge upset 17 point underdogs one of those games where in normal circumstances you'd be very happy as a jets fan because your team isn't going to go winless and you pulled off a huge win you have a reason to feel good going into 2021 but instead it's being billed as arguably the worst win of all time because now the Jets are no longer in prime position to get the number one overall pick and star quarterback prospect Trevor Lawrence. So is it based on strength of schedule or is it? Yeah, it's based on strength of schedule. So that's why Jacksonville, who's also one in 13, would get the tiebreaker. So no matter what, if the Jags lose out, like they get the number, they get the number one pick. Yeah. Yeah. So the Jags last two games against the Bears and the Colts, who are both fighting yeah. for playoff berths? Yeah, and I, I, I don't see the Jags being either of those teams, and I'm not. Re- I mean, I'm not really high on the Bears or anything, but I think the Bears should beat them, and the Colts. They're fighting for a division. They, they could still win the division mm-hmm. in the AFC. South. They haven't clinched the playoffs, especially if they and do that too. lose to Pittsburgh. So, so they, have they to definitely have motivation to, to win that game. And the Bears, they're a seventh seed or eighth seed right now, so mm-hmm. they have motivation as well. So. Two teams with motivation, and Jags got nothing to play for outside of losing so they can get Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I don't see how the Jags win either of those games. And I guess my question is, how bad of a loss or win <laughs> was it for the Jets, really, uh, winning the, against the Rams? I think it's a huge, huge loss winning that game. I mean, the the difference between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields feels like it's large enough that I don't know if you have the number two pick, if you just move on from Sam Darnold and draft fields, or if you try to upgrade at other positions, you try to either trade back and give up more, more draft capital, or you take offensive lineman, Penny Sewell from Oregon, who, uh, and I think Mel Kuyper's latest projection he has him as a number two prospect ahead of fields like it feels like the jets are gonna have a lot of questions about what they do and none of them are what they would want to do which is this draft trevor lawrence well that was gonna be my question is that is justin fields that big of a drop off to trevor lawrence like is it rg3 andrew luck then to rg3 i think it's like andrew luck to rg3 like trevor lawrence is that generational talent he's your john elway your peyton manning your andrew luck your can't miss guy and uh justin fields just isn't that so maybe the jets can still you know take him and he'll he'll be just as good for them but being the number two team is not not a ideal i love how the jets clinching play in that game was a a third down short pass uh from sam darnold to frank gore sam darnold who doesn't want to be replaced and frank Uh, gore who's like 60 years old and doesn't care what the jets are going to be like afterwards so i'm sure there are plenty of guys in the team that that don't really care about the 
about the pick and they just no no like none of them are really going to benefit from it that's why i like the idea that greg williams intentionally ran that cover zero blitz against the raiders like didn't make any sense because why would he care about the number one pick because he's not going to be part of the team next year anyway so do you think greg williams did that to tank or do you think he was that dumb no i think he did it because that's who he is as a defensive coordinator um, so just I don't that think it, I like it's like I don't think he had any <laughs> any reason to want that number one pick uh, just because I don't think he's gonna be, he wouldn't be part of the team next year anyway. Obviously, he was fired after the game. Uh, I, I don't think that it makes sense for anyone from the Jets to actually tank in terms of the players and coaches, because I don't know how many of them are actually be on the field to reap the benefits of whoever they end up drafting next year. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, it seems very likely that Trevor Lawrence will end up in Jacksonville instead of New York. So let's move on to storyline number four. Will anyone emerge as a clear favorite to win MVP? No, I don't think there's a clear favorite right now. And I think I think Josh Allen will, has had a great year, but I think he'll eventually finish third. And I think it's going to come down to Mahomes or Rodgers. And if the season ended right now, I would say Mahomes is the the winner of the MVP award, but two games left, I can still see Rodgers uh, making a comeback in the MVP award and, and overtaking Mahomes. And I don't know about you, but I feel like Rodgers, I, th- I feel like it's so obvious that he wants the MVP award so bad, uh, the way he talks about it. Uh, when he's asked about, like, do you care about the MVP award? And I know it's kind of like a lose-lose situation where if he says he doesn't, care about it then he's lying but when he does say oh he wants to he wants to win the mvp award then people think oh he just cares about the personal accolades which is probably true i don't know but uh i don't, I don't know what do, do you feel I, like rogers just i feel like he really really wants it this year yeah i mean i i think it's totally reasonable for him to really want to win the award i don't i don't see an issue with it you know in terms of talking about the personal accolades because if him winning mvp helps the packers be a successful football team then I don't know why there's a reason to critique it. Uh, and I, I feel like it changes every single week in terms of who the favorite is between Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. So at this point, th- those are the top two guys, like you mentioned. Josh Allen, he had a stretch where it kind of knocked him out of the running, and I know he's picked it up in recent weeks. But If it was just September and December, then Josh Allen would yeah. win MVP. But for the mid- middle part of the season, he was he, he had some moments of, of bad play, but for the most part, uh-huh. he's been... Terrific, but yeah, I don't I don't see him getting more votes than Mahomes or Rodgers. Yeah, and if it was just a September award, it would have been Russell Wilson. But yeah, own that too. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like he's long out of it. Uh, I know he still leads in, or he's he leads Mahomes in touchdown passes. But Aaron Rodgers forty touchdowns, four interceptions. Mahomes thirty six five, but Mahomes is forty four hundred yards, which is uh, far ahead of Deshaun Watson, who's the number two. It feels like it could really go either way at this point. And I don't know if we'll necessarily see someone emerge in these last two games because I don't know what Kansas City and Green Bay will have to play for in Week 17 because both of them could be in a position. I think it's less likely for the Packers, but certainly for the Chiefs where uh, it might be beneficial to rest their guys. Uh, And I, I don't know how much they'll, you know, I guess in Green Bay's case, try for the one seed versus just, giving their their guy a week off in week 17 taking the bye then but uh, I I don't know that anyone is actually going to be the clear favorite and I think it's going to be one of those things where on NFL honor day before the Super Bowl 
you're not really going to have a good idea and it's going to be a controversial pick either way. So that kind of brings us to our number three storyline, which speaking of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, uh, can they maintain their hold on the number one seed in the NFC? So we're specifically focusing on the Packers because the Chiefs feel like they have the one seed locked up. They're 13 and one Buffalo and Pittsburgh are 11 and three. It would be, Nearly impossible for either of those teams to catch Kansas City, especially given the Chiefs' last two games are against the Falcons and the Chargers. So let's kind of focus specifically on the Green Bay Packers because throughout the season we said we don't really feel like we know who the number one team in the NFC is. And I know for a long time we were both high on the Saints. Well, the Saints have lost their last two games to the Eagles and the Chiefs. And now it feels like the Packers have a really good chance just if they win their last two games against Tennessee and Chicago, they're going to be the number one team. Yeah, I'm going to say the Packers do get the one seed at this point. I feel like in their their recent playoff success, they've lost just way too many road games to miss out on the on a on the bye and home field advantage throughout the NFC. Uh, they they lost to San Francisco last year in the NFC Championship game at San Fran, 2016 at Atlanta. 2015 Arizona and then and of course 2014 versus Seattle they they lose too many games on in the road in the postseason and I feel like they're desperate for that home field advantage and I they have a big game coming up in week 16 versus Tennessee and uh, I think the key is to stop Derrick Henry I don't know if they can or not nine nine of the 14 games Derrick Henry's rushed for over 102 of them over 200 yards. Yeah, and he's, he's a monster in December. Well. Like, this is the time where Derrick Henry starts to pick it up. So that game, it's certainly uh, going to be a tough test for that Green Bay Packers defense. Week 17 at Chicago, like, maybe that's an opportunity with the Bears uh, potentially playing for a playoff spot against their big rival uh, for Green Bay to end up suffering a loss. But even then, the Packers own the tiebreaker with the Saints. So yeah, if the Packers beat win one three. of those two, yeah, they beat them head to head. So the Packers win one of those two, even if New Orleans wins out, they would be both be 12 and four. Green Bay would get the one seed. Uh, it w- if Seattle, though, does also finish 12 and four, they're 10 and four. Their last two games are against the Rams and the 49ers. So not necessarily a cakewalk that that would happen. Uh, then Green Bay would actually fall down to the three seed. So there is a chance that the Packers could fall, but it, it does feel like they should be able to maintain that number one seed. And I guess given that, like, if the Packers are the one seed, would you do you think you would believe that they're the top team in the NFC this season and they're the favorites to go to the Super Bowl? Yeah, especially if they get home field where it's cold, super cold in January. All you got to do is Google a picture of Tom Coughlin in Green Bay in that <laughs> NFC yeah. Championship game to, to know how cold it is there in January. and. Yeah, so they playing in Green Bay is tough, especially at that at that time of the year. Yeah, I had similar thoughts last season um, as I do this season, where I believe the Saints are better than the Packers, but I don't know that Drew Brees and the Saints can go into Green Bay like you said and win a yeah, playoff with, game. With Drew Brees at this point, he's forty-one. He's coming off multiple broken ribs, and and he's wearing a basically what a flak? What do you call it? A flak? Flash jacket sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're used to playing in in a dome. Like they're not used to playing in in uh, frigid temperatures. You know, being in the NFC South, their road games are Atlanta, or Atlanta, in a dome, and to... then Tampa and Carolina. So, yeah, there's uh 
it's not something that I, I think New Orleans is built for. So, like, I would agree with you in the sense that I think that Green Bay would be the favorite and it would be huge for them to have home field advantage. But I don't know if it necessarily makes them the best team. You know, if Aaron Rodgers is playing elite football like he has been and is in the MVP conversation all the way to the very end and uh, the defense continues to, to be solid, Devontae Adams continues to have his name in the discussion of best receiver in the league, then I think that maybe I'm... I, I need to be a lot higher on the Packers than I am, but uh, you know, it, it seems like regardless of the one seed, uh, it's it's hard to to envision them, um, you know, not being the the favorite at least. And the Saints look did, did not look good, or at least offensively, they didn't look good versus KC. I kn- mm-hmm. I don't want to cut Breeze some slack a little bit because he he came off IR, but it felt like he was, he, he was back. playing with, he was playing with practice squad receivers outside of Manny Sanders with that, with Thomas out and Trey Kwan. Trey Kwan Smith got hurt. Game. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I'll come to slack a little bit, but they didn't, they did not look good offensively until when it was, mm-hmm. didn't matter. And it was garbage. No, time. In, in garbage time, they will make it closer, but it, it never really was uh, as close as that three point final score made it seem. Exactly. So, all right, let's uh, move on to our number two storyline. And uh, who will finish on top of the NFC East and earn a playoff spot? For a while, it seemed like the Washington football team was the best team in this division and that they would have a really uh, strong chance of wrapping things up even before we got to week 17. Now, I don't know if that's the case. And all four teams in this division are mathematically alive, including the Dallas Cowboys, who at five and nine find themselves with a really uh, not not crazy, like difficult chance of pulling out this division title, despite Dak Prescott's injury earlier in the season and things just going even worse uh, with his replacement. So. Uh, I think it'll be really interesting to see if uh, one of those teams can make this like not as easy for Washington as it could be. I mean, I feel like Philly is pretty much out, even though Jalen Hurts has looked good the past couple games. I I think they're just a little too far out now with the four nine and one record. Uh, and I I think I think Wash. What's funny is that I feel like we've thought all four teams at one point in the season are going to win the division. I mean, I had the Cowboys, uh-huh. win, of course, win the division. And then after that, it was Philly. And then Giants beat the, the Seahawks on the road. And Washington had a four-game winning streak. So I feel like at one point in the season, we thought at some point like all four of these teams could win the division at one point. Uh, I think I think the, the Washington football team are still going to win the division still. They get Alex Smith and Antonio Gibson back at some point, And... Even though they lost to Seattle, like I said, they had a four-game winning streak beforehand, and they they only lost to five points to Seattle, and it was a tough loss. But I mean, it's not that bad of a loss. And no, I I was much more optimistic about their chances. I know they made it a game late, but it was it was disappointing seeing uh, them fall flat with Dwayne and, Haskins. And they're start. gonna they're gonna play Carolina next week, who obviously has nothing to play for. And Ron Rivera revenge game. I don't know. I don't know. And then. Uh, and Philly, I mean, if they no, lose Ron to Rivera Dallas. No, Ron Rivera is the head coach of Washington, so, like, that's, and he's facing Carolina, his former team that he coached. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, I meant for Carol. well. No, okay. I'm saying it's okay. a re- There's revenge not really, game That's not for a huge revenge game. I don't know. I, I get it, but it's They not... fired him mid-season. Yeah. <laughs> I meant for Carolina. 
Yeah, I know, but I was just saying, I was just throwing it out there that it's a Ron Rivera revenge game, so that's like an extra reason to think that Washington's going to come out and win that one. I'm sure I'm sure he'd be prepared no matter what for the heck game, <laughs> especially given what's on the line for them in the division. But yeah, uh, but then yeah, and then week 17 they play Philly, and if they lose to Dallas, it's completely over for them. So they'll, they'll mm-hmm. definitely won't have anything to play for either. So I, I think it's Washington's divisional. Uh, to lose it's definitely washington's division to lose and i i do think that washington's going to pull out this win against carolina though i am a little concerned with the the dwayne haskins news i i don't really know what to expect from their quarterback position this week um i don't know if you heard he, no i, I heard about that that yeah, he was wearing yeah, he went to <laughs> he a strip club yeah like it feels like that that was a reckless move at the <laughs> you know, at best case, but I don't know if there's going to be any kind of fallout from that. Uh, regardless, it, it does seem like Washington is the best team in this division. And the Giants play the Ravens. The, the Giants this week. have scored like, 13 points in the last two games. I don't have yeah, faith in either quarterback. I was optimistic that they could knock off Cleveland and uh, Colt McCoy. He, he beat Seattle, but he just wasn't able to reproduce it. Which really, they didn't have a whole lot of offense in the Seattle game. It's, it's their defense has been really good. And I know uh, Dallas. I don't has think a, they're going to stop Lamar though. And Dallas has had a two-game winning streak, but they, the, Washington owns the tiebreaker over them since they beat yeah, them both times. They, so. Washington would have to lose out, and Dallas would have to win out. So exactly. It, I, I mean, I think one remarkable thing, I guess, to look at if we want to say Washington's going to win the division is can Washington actually finish with an 8-8 eight and eight record, get to 500? Because for a long time, it was kind of written off that the NFC East winner would be below 500 would they even be a six and 10 team I think if if Washington ends up finishing eight and eight that would be something so yeah I I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought that uh, a lot earlier in the year but given how Washington has played I can see it now all right so let's uh wrap up the top five with our number one storyline heading into the final weeks of the season. Which teams will snag the final wildcard spots in both conferences? So the AFC is much more wide open. Let's kind of start off with the NFC. At this point, it feels like I know the Rams and the Bucks haven't officially clinched their playoff spots, but it feels like those two teams are safe. So it's really going to come down to the Cardinals and the Chicago Bears, who have won back-to-back games. They blew out the Houston Texans, and then they beat the Vikings in Minnesota this past week. Can Chicago really, uh, you know, keep this going and snag that final playoff spot? You know, just given how poorly they were playing the past six weeks or so before this little two-game winning streak. Well, I think, like I said earlier, I think the Bears should handle Jacksonville. They should have no problem with that. It obviously comes down to their last matchup versus Green Bay, and we just talked about how important it is for Green Bay to get that one seed and. Uh, I think, and I think it's just a total mismatch given their, not just uh, just past week or not past week, their past first game, but also just their past history. I think, I think Rodgers and the Packers just own the Bears, and uh, I I know I know the Bears beat Minnesota, but I still, I still have questions about their offense uh, as a whole, especially with Trubisky leading them. So I, I don't see him winning out just because of that Green Bay game. You know, I I talked about this last time, just saying that the Bears should have fired Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace after the the loss to the Lions, where they blew a ten point lead with 
like four something to play. And now all of a sudden the Bears are they're they're flirting with a playoff spot and Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy have a greater argument to sticking around with this team. And now it's if Mitchell Trubisky can guide the scene to the playoffs, don't you have to pay him next year and keep him as your starting quarterback? Like it just feels like this could be a bigger lose situation than a win situation. So just like the, the Jets where <laughs> winning yeah. is actually losing. Yeah, and that's I think that it's you have to be a little nervous about that happening if you're a fan of the Bears. Uh I'm sure that you know, in the moment, Bears fans would like to see their team make the playoffs, but it feels like the long-term effects could be maybe not worth it. So, yeah, especially if, if they were to make the playoffs, they would have four games where they're likely not favored in any of them. You know, it, it, I don't Assuming they Chicago went all the way. On a playoff run. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I don't see them going on a playoff run regardless. Uh, in terms of the Arizona Cardinals, though, they're starting to get back on track the past two games uh, with their their win over the Eagles this week after beating the Giants on the road in week 14 it it seems like Arizona should be in a good spot to make the playoffs their last two games are against the 49ers and the Rams they're both tough divisional games I don't think that they'll beat LA in week 17 but uh, I, I, I do mean, expect the Cardinals beat the 49ers yeah that's that's kind of the reason why I I still think Arizona is going to be that team that gets that last playoff spot. Uh, both both the Bears and the Cardinals, I think they have uh, winnable games in Week 16, Week 17. Even if the Cardinals were to were to lose versus the Rams, I, I if I, if I think the Bears the aren't going to beat the Packers, then I yeah. I don't see the Arizona Cardinals would still giving get up in that spot. Yeah. yeah, and uh, it, it seems like Arizona's pretty safe uh potentially they could even climb higher if they beat the rams in week 17 and you talk about the rams losing to the jets and that not only is an embarrassing loss losing to a winless team like that at home but it they had were in a position where they could have wrapped up the nfc west with a win over seattle this week instead they not only have to beat Seattle, but they very likely have to beat Arizona in Week 17. And if they lose, the Seahawks win the division. Now they're going to have to go on the road in the playoffs. So it just—it was a really disastrous loss for the LA Rams. And uh, I think that they can beat Seattle. They did beat them last time they played, and they really—you uh, know—like Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense couldn't get anything going. But it's uh it's a much taller task for them and even though they own the tiebreaker over the bucks they're both nine and five the bucks finish the season with the lions and the falcons it feels like they should win both of those games so the rams are very likely to end up as a six seed instead of playing washington on the road they're gonna have to go and play seattle or new orleans yeah the rams could even though they they sucked versus the jets obviously no question about that uh i they could still easily beat Seattle in Week 16. I mean, Wilson. I still like their chances too. Take out the Jets game. The Wilson has averaged barely over 200 yards a game and one touchdown a game, and <laughs> their offense yeah. has been super shaky over. The yeah, last and the Rams' months. defense is still really good. The defense wasn't necessarily the problem against the Jets. It was the offense couldn't get anything going. It took them too long. Same thing with the Steelers against the Bengals, and uh, I think that the Rams will be able to to right the ship and against Seattle but uh you know it it just it's harder and you get to go all the way out to Seattle for that game as well and I know there won't be fans in the crowd but that doesn't mean there's no travel involved so um so let's talk about the AFC though where it's much more wide open so 
you are, we're staring at a, a realistic possibility that there's going to be an 11 and 5 team that misses out on the playoffs which is pretty remarkable this year given that seven teams make it in both conferences so the Chiefs, Bills, and Steelers have all clinched playoff berths. You have the Titans and Colts battling it out. You figure one of them is going to win the division. One of them is likely to get a wild card. And then from there, you have the Ravens, the Browns, and the Dolphins. So uh, <laughs> one of my favorite kind of scenarios, which I don't know if I should necessarily call it a favorite one because it involves the Steelers losing to the Colts and playing a meaningful game against the Browns on Week 17. But it is possible if... The Colts win their last two games and the Titans win one of their games. They don't even have to beat Green Bay. They just got to win in Houston. And then Miami wins their last two against Vegas and Buffalo. And the Ravens went out against the Giants and Cincinnati. That The Browns could be 11-4 and four going into Week 17, win and they win the AFC North, lose and they miss the playoffs entirely. Wow, that's, that's brutal if that were yeah. to happen. And that's 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 as bad as the one last year where Seattle and San Fran they were battling for either the number one overall seed or wild the card weekend on the road. Yeah, uh-huh. and it missed by one yard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I don't know that I want to go through that. Like, I I don't know that I would like the Sealy's chances of going into Cleveland. But can you imagine if the Browns start eleven and four but miss the playoffs because they lose to Pittsburgh in the final? week of the season like their fans would be just absolutely miserable like I don't know if they could handle that no absolutely not and what I love about the AFC uh final week for the playoffs so do you remember three years ago when the Bills beat the Dolphins and they needed the Bengals to beat the Ravens yep yep so I definitely remember week 17 <laughs> Bills Dolphins Ravens Bengals <laughs> do we see something like that again but with different oh, teams interesting yeah I didn't even realize that instead and, of uh, the Bills it's the Dolphins do we see something similar again yeah yeah because the Ravens going into Cincinnati I mean I, I don't realistically see that playing yeah. out that way but maybe yeah Buffalo loses to Miami and somehow keeps Baltimore out of the playoffs like I can just I can just see some sort of deja vu with that that's all I'm saying yeah yeah no that's interesting I know with with all the divisional matchups every single week 17, you end up with scenarios like that kind of repeating themselves. I mean, Chicago Green Bay, you want to talk about that? They played each other in 2013. Oh, right. Yeah. Rodgers completed that fourth down pass to Cobb. Yeah, to Randall Cobb Mm -hmm. with under a minute to go. So, yeah. um, The Dolphins, they, they certainly have the toughest track to go having to play at the Raiders and at the Bills. The Raiders have not played well recently. Their past few games have both been at home. They got killed by the Colts, and they just lost to the Chargers in overtime. The Bills is kind of an interesting one in terms of what they're playing for. Are they going to want to get as high a seed as possible, or are they going to want to use that time to maybe rest Josh Allen, some of their starters, given that they're not going to get a bye in the first round anyway? So that could kind of open things up, and it would be very exciting to see the Dolphins after being predicted by many to finish 0-16 last season in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I'm. I, I yeah, that's definitely uh, definitely interesting. I'm going to pick for the last spot. I don't. I really don't think the Raiders have a shot. I know mathematically no, they're, they do. Yeah, but they're basically I, out of it. Yeah, they're 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 basically out. And, and especially now that Carr's hurt and they had to bring in Mario. And I know Mariota looked pretty good, 
versus the Chargers, but so has everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Anyone that anyone that's played the Chargers has looked good. So I don't I don't put too much stock into that. And I yeah I, I don't I think the Raven the Raiders are done. So I think it's going to come down to the Ravens and the Dolphins. Uh, if I had to pick, I would lean with the Ravens. Their last two games, like I mentioned before, the Giants, they've scored 13 points in their last two games. So I think they should have no problem beating the Giants, especially at home. And then the Bengals, I know they beat your Steelers, but yeah. I still think they're not good at all. And They shouldn't be able to beat the Ravens. Like The Ravens yeah. shouldn't lose to the Bengals. And then for the Dolphins, uh, I their run game has not been good on, up until the Patriots game, though. the They ran over two, had over 200 rushing yards. Uh, in in the Patriots game, yeah, and that was with Miles Gaskin out. Yeah, and they had the worst rush offense leading up to that game, and they actually looked good in that game, even with three rookie O linemen starting for them. And mm-hmm. now they get a Raiders team that can't stop anything on defense, and so no. I, I like them in that game. But for the Buffalo game, uh, yeah, I think it come down comes down to what Buffalo does in that Week 17 game because. Like you said, I don't think they'll have anything to play for since I don't think the one seed will be possible at that uh-huh. point. And I, I, th- I think Buffalo will still win just be just because of wh- how their offense has looked of late. They're they're just surging right now on offense. And for Miami, they do have some injuries. Like you said, they they don't have Gaskin right now. Mike Gesicki was hurt. Devontae Parker was hurt. And I know some of those guys will come back at some point, but. Uh, I feel like for Devontae Parker, he's so much better with Fitzpatrick, and I feel like he hasn't been totally on the same page with Tua yet. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I just think in that Buffalo game, I even even if Josh Allen doesn't play the entire game, I still think Buffalo is just that on much of a heater right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the game that is going to be make or break for the Dolphins just because of Baltimore's schedule and the Colts' schedule. Like, all those other teams, they get to face – bad teams week 17 the the dolphins don't have that benefit um so i also think that miami ultimately ends up missing the postseason but um i i would rather see miami in over baltimore or cleveland if that's who gets left out that's for sure all right so that will wrap things up for our nfl uh top five week 16 and 17 storylines the next time we talk football it will be the playoffs and we'll have answers to most if not all those stories So uh, with that, let's talk NBA as the season is set to tip off. Actually, tonight as we're recording it. So uh, by the time you listen to this, you'll have been able to watch games with the the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant taking on his old team, the Golden State Warriors, and then the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers, right? Playing or no, is it the, yeah, right? It's Clippers, Lakers tonight. Yeah, and I think it's Warriors, Nets. Yeah, Warriors, Nets, and Clippers, Lakers. Yeah. 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 So we'll get to see, you know, LeBron James and Anthony Davis go up against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George once again on opening night. So uh, before we kind of get too far into what we expect to happen this season, we did have some huge news go down last week. And that was Giannis Antetokounmpo signing a Supermax extension to remain with the Bucks. So I guess what are your initial thoughts? thoughts and reactions to Giannis deciding to commit to Milwaukee long-term. I think it's great that someone like him is willing to be loyal and stay 
with the team that drafted him, especially a team like Milwaukee in a city like Milwaukee, where I, I feel like players like Giannis of that caliber just go to just want to go to L.A. or Miami and build their brand and be in the warm weather and st- be on stacked teams with other superstar players. So I think for the time being, time being, it looks good on his part and he looks like like the good guy, but I still feel like I still feel like Giannis could still pull a Carmelo like Carmelo did with Denver where he signs the big deal, but then he wants out because of what's around him and he goes to New York and I still feel like the clock is ticking for the Bucks to get more help for Giannis to win a championship. Now, they obviously solidified him uh, staying in Milwaukee for beyond this season, but not for the entire five-year contract. I I don't I don't think it's a done deal that he's there for the next six years. And it's just like Tatum too; he signs his big deal. I still don't. It's just like Tatum, where I feel like even though they Boston signed Tatum that big deal, I don't still I still don't see Tatum staying for all those years unless they get him more help. So. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's a good way to look at things for the most part. Um, it's awesome for the NBA that a guy who's arguably the best player in the league is willing to play in Milwaukee. He doesn't need to go to this huge market. It's, this isn't David Stern's NBA where you wanted all the best guys in the best markets. The NBA is a national sport. Of course, it's international, but you talk about just the league. I don't think it really matters whether a guy is playing in Milwaukee or Los Angeles because people are still going to tune in to watch the box. They're still going to get, you know, the, the coverage that you would expect. And, you know, maybe like the fans in person, like the Milwaukee's going to sell out every single night, as long as Giannis on is there and they're an amazing team and he's going to sell out on the road, wherever he goes. So I don't think that's a huge concern uh, in terms of a way to look at Giannis staying loyal to Milwaukee. I think it's an awesome thing. And I think it's ridiculous that people are talking about uh, how, like, oh, Giannis is—he's do this. He's never going to win a championship. Like, he should—he should want out. Like, those are all people that are salty that he didn't decide to just leave them in free agency for Miami or Dallas or LA or Toronto or wherever. That—that's. I, I, w- I wanted that. him in Boston next season if that was possible. Yeah, but that—that that wasn't realistic. I was—I—I I love that he signed this extension. I—I'm a huge Giannis fan, and I love that he's in Milwaukee because, like, it's—it's it's a market where. You know, maybe they can pull together and win a championship. I do think they're going to win a championship in the coming years. And I agree with you. That's a huge thing. If they still can't win, like he can always ask out at some point down the road. Uh, But it doesn't feel like this is necessarily a team that's going to just become a super team overnight. You know, maybe Giannis only wins one or two championships in Milwaukee as opposed to potentially winning more if he teamed up and formed a big three somewhere else. But uh, I, I I really like this move just all around. And I think it's kind of ridiculous for, uh, you know, a guy like just the way that people talk about NBA players. It's like Kevin Durant is a snake and he's unloyal for leaving Oklahoma city to go to golden state and chase rings. But Giannis is dumb for staying in Milwaukee and not chasing rings elsewhere. Like in- inconsistent. Damian yeah. Lillard is an underachiever because he stays in Portland his whole career. Bradley Beal doesn't deserve an all NBA team because he played for a really bad Washington team, even though he was one of the 15 best players in the NBA this year. Like it just, just the way that fans talk about this, like, 
stuff. It's, it's, just, a, it feels it's like a lose lose so situation. Hypocrite. Yeah, it's, they're mm-hmm. just all hypocrites about it, and I. I, I love it. I love how this is happening. I hope that it's a trend that we can start to see that if organizations are successful, it doesn't matter where they're located, they can retain star talent. So um, I think it's a great move for Giannis, and uh, I, I do expect him to ultimately win a championship in Milwaukee and maybe silence some of those arguments sooner than later. Beyond that, we did have two other pretty notable massive extensions get signed in recent days uh there have been a ton of extensions throughout the league as uh we we approached the deadline yesterday but the two two noteworthy ones let's start off with a guy who signed the exact same deal as Giannis signed and that's Paul George five years 228 million dollars and uh, I guess what are your thoughts on the Clippers locking him up to that deal it's a little strange given how he performed in the playoffs last year playoff p that's what they call him, right? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's <laughs> what he know. calls himself. I guess I just wonder how Kawhi feels and the rest of the roster feels if he doesn't perform to expectations whatsoever in the bubble. Now, Paul George did talk about how he was sort of depressed when he was in the bubble, but I, it's he still did not perform to what they wanted, especially losing in the second round to the Nuggets. Now I know the Nuggets are great, but. Still, the way they were up three was, to one in the series, yeah, and it was a were, very disappointing loss. They should they should have won that series, and it was definitely a disappointing loss. And I think Paul George, Paul George's bad play had has deserves some blame. And I guess I just wonder how how it works for Kawhi and the rest of the team, and for their in the Clippers' future. The I mean, the only way I look at this is. The Clippers had to do this because they mortgaged their future to acquire Paul George. They had to commit to him. They had to show that they still believe in this guy and that they still believe in the pairing of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and that these two guys can help them win championships. And in terms of like how I actually feel about Paul George, though, I don't think he's worth this kind of money. I don't think he's shown that, uh, especially last season. I think in the past he's had his moments and maybe get back into more normal basketball life, you know, not being isolated in a bubble, actually being able to spend time in, you know, normal places, going traveling city to city with, you know, friends and family and whoever. Uh, maybe that that's all it will kind of take to get Paul George's groove back. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't believe in the Clippers. I really don't. I, I think that I was really high on them last season and, nothing came together and I was really frustrated with their disappointing uh, blowing a three to one lead to Denver in the Western Conference semis and I, I'm not I'm not optimistic about this team and you know it, Paul George it, is a big part of that you take out last year just just look at their roster they look great on paper and you, you can make a case that they should make it to the finals and maybe go all the way but then when you see what happened last season and the way that all played out and losing Montrez Harrell and uh, I don't I'll admit like I have I have questions about the Clippers uh, their ceiling at least I don't I don't know what what they can do uh, especially after what happened last season you know Kawhi carried Toronto to a championship and I think that that got a lot of people to be really high on him and I think we're all way too high on Kawhi Leonard and, and you know we're, we're too high on Paul and George you, as well and you so. have to factor in how much harder the Western Conference is compared to the Eastern oh Conference. yeah 
Yeah, I mean, he he had to take down a disappointing 76ers team, a disappointing Bucks team, and then a Warriors team that lost uh, Clay Thompson. Two and of their Durant four best the players. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't think that Kawhi Leonard is uh is is really like a in the discussion of best player in the NBA. I don't even know if he's top five at this point, and I'm gonna really need to see him get back into that before I believe in this Clippers team. And I really need to see Paul George play like a top ten, top to fifteen player, like he's being paid. So uh, another big extension that's maybe a little questionable is the Utah Jazz signing. Rudy Gobert to a five-year, $205 million extension. So, reactions. $205 million for a guy that's a great player on the defensive end and can get you, what, 16, 12 a game? Or I, I don't know the exact numbers. Yeah, I mean, but, he, he gets a lot but, of rebounds. He can yeah, score. He, he gets can a plenty of rebounds and play. $205 million, though? For, it's, that's an outrageous for that, for number that, for that kind of player. I yeah, I don't I don't love it. I I mean, what are the Jazz supposed to do? Like they're supposed to trade him or? What? I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like Paul George, where hey, we want to show commitment to our one of our franchise players, but at the same time, is he worth that money? No, I don't think it, so. You know, it's probably a good sign that they were able to lock up Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell does huge deals like that, that those two can continue to coexist in Utah. But, you know, I love Rudy Gobert. I think that he gets a lot of hate because he's not able to space the floor and shoot threes. Like He also gets a, a lot, lot of hate because of what happened in March. Yeah, I get the coronavirus He was the first guy stuff, to get like, it. Even before that, like, he was getting a ton of hate just because of his play style. And I, I, I think he's a really solid player. And I think that the Jazz made a great move locking him up it just feels like they're way, way overpaying him. Like $40 million a year on average, he should be in like the $25 million a year range. Like if, if it was even four year, or five years, $150 million, I would have been like, wow, that feels kind of crazy. So I, I think that the, uh, the Jazz are really banking on those, that tandem to continue to work out and you know, be able to do something because it, it feels like it's a team that kind of has their ceiling capped. Uh, with those two guys just eating up so much of the cap space. And I, I still think that Utah can, can make the most of it. They have Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich who can shoot and space the floor. Mike Conley didn't have a great first season in Utah, but Jordan Clarkson, he's really solid. They were able to retain him. I, he's uh, he, he was a very good uh, point guard in the backup point guard in the bubble. Yeah, he's someone who's getting a lot of hype in terms of six-man-of-the-year um, predictions. So I, I think that Utah can make the most of this, but it's uh, yeah, locking it up like... Yeah, locking up all, the, all that money to those two, it just feels like their ceiling is capped where mm-hmm. they could definitely be a four or five seed every single year, but lose in the second round every single year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're going to need someone else to be able to step up for them to get further than that. I thought last year, I really... like believe that they would make it to the Western Conference Finals and uh, it just didn't happen. So, uh, And part of that was Boyan Bogdanovich didn't play in the bubble, but they also blew a 3-1 to lead to the Denver Nuggets. I don't know if they would also uh, be able to, to come back and beat the Clippers if they fell behind like that or if it was just the Nuggets were a team of destiny, but uh, it, it does feel like Utah's kind of capped in terms of how great they can be, and I don't really see how these two guys are good enough to get you past a team like the Lakers or the Clippers or the Nuggets or some of the other great teams in the West. 
So let's uh, let's kind of move on in terms of actual you know thoughts on this coming season and uh, you know one team we don't really know what to expect out of them because their star player continues to want out and that is the Houston Rockets with James Harden. So I guess first off, do you think he's going to be traded sooner than later, or is Houston realistically going to continue to just hold him until they get an amazing offer? Reading reports, I. Th- I think he will be traded, but I have no idea where because all the rumors of which teams are most interested, Miami, they seem like they're out. Brooklyn, when I hear Kevin Durant being asked about what would be like having James Harden in the roster, he says, I've never even thought about James Harden, uh, (laughs) which is a little little strong, but he's being honest, so I, I don't know. If I don't think the Nets are in on him, and then there were talks about the 76ers making a move. If I were to guess, if I had to guess which team, I probably would say them. And I'm sure Ben Simmons would be part of that deal, but... I think it's the only way it happens. Like, I'll, I'll, I don't think yeah. Brooklyn can put together a trade package to get Harden. I don't think Kara Silver and Spencer Dinwiddie are not for Houston. There's no reason for the yeah, Rockets I don't, to I don't, trade him unless they're away. I don't see Kyrie being part of that deal. No, either. no, it... It makes no sense, especially with Houston getting John Wall. Like, I don't see how Kyrie and Wall would, you know, coexist together in Houston. I think that the only way it happens in the coming days or weeks or months or wherever is if the Rockets trade James Harden to the Sixers for Ben Simmons. And maybe Daryl Morley, he says he's all big on uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons playing together. Maybe that doesn't immediately work out like he thinks it will and he's willing to part with Simmons to to bring in his old guy James Harden I think that there's a decent chance that does end up happening but I I don't I don't see Houston just giving away Harden I think that it's going to take a big deal for them to move him at least during the season you know maybe next offseason if he still wants out then they'll revisit that but uh, it doesn't doesn't feel like anyone is willing to put together the kind of trade package that the Rockets are looking for so, um, I guess, uh, you know, next talk, we talked about the Nets. We talked about Kevin Durant. What are your expectations for that team uh, in their first season with a healthy Durant? I think they're going to be legit this year. I, I hate saying it because I'm I'm such a hater of Kyrie, but I think they're going to be legit title contenders. I, and I, I hate to put too much stock into a, a preseason game, but since I'm a Celtics fan, I watched the preseason a little bit, and they played the Nets, and... Kevin Durant didn't even look like he was ever injured. He he looked totally fine. He looked the same as he was before he got hurt. And he didn't look look like he had no rust whatsoever. Uh, like I said, I hate Kyrie, but he he looked great as well in in that game. And it's not just because of those two. I think they have a ton of depth on their bench as well. Like you said, Karis Levert. They got Spencer Dinwiddie. They got Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan as their big men. Uh, and they got they traded for Landry Shamit. It's not just because of those two. It's that dynamic duo. It's because of also because of how how much depth they have as well in their team. And I think I think they're going to be one of the top teams uh, in the Eastern Conference. But it's a question of how deep they can go. 
Yeah, I'm actually surprised that you're so big on them just because I know how much you don't like Kyrie Irving, but I agree with you. I feel like the Nets are right up there when you talk about best teams in the league, not even just the Eastern Conference. I think they're absolutely a title contender right away, and I I have pretty high expectations for this team this year. They really are a team for me personally where I'm extremely high and low at the same time on them, where I'm extremely high on their chances of going deep, but I'm extremely low on their chances of actually winning it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a fair way to look at it. And there's also a lot of question because Steve Nash is their head coach. He's never been a head coach before at any level, and now he's a head and, coach. And now, and yeah, and now he's the favorite to win Coach of the Year this year in the in the yeah. Markets. Which I mean, for a guy who's a first year head coach, if the Nets are a, a top two team in the East, then I would think he'd be very well deserving of that. He does have Mike D'Antoni on his staff, so. I don't know how much of it is really going to be on Steve Nash. I think there are some other. Oh, um, Amari Sotomayor. It's like the whole whole Suns team is back together. Uh, I think I think there's a lot of reasons to uh, feel optimistic that the Brooklyn Nets are going to put it together. Now, a lot of it is going to come down to the health. Can Kevin Durant stay healthy throughout the season? Can Kyrie Irving stay healthy throughout the season? And you just talk about some of the other role players as well. Can can those guys step up when needed to? Uh, I I do think that things are going to be really good for Brooklyn this year, but you know there's certainly a lot of reason to kind of question how far this team can ultimately go, just because it feels like a lot has to go right for it to happen. But if everything does go right, there's no reason this team can't win can't win the finals this year. All right, uh, now uh, ne- next next topic here, so. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers are the defending champions. They they uh, won the war of attrition in the bubble last year, and they're the overwhelming favorite to not just return to the finals but win the finals. So let's kind of you know keep things just in the Western Conference. Who is the biggest threat to the Lakers' attempts to get back to the NBA Finals? So I know we just kind of crapped on them earlier, but I'm. I'm going to say the Clippers just because of I I just believe in I believe in the the talent that they have and maybe if they can get a little bit better coaching from Ty Lue maybe they can go a little bit further into the West Western Conference uh, maybe and also not being in a bubble can maybe help Paul George and it's not just Kawhi and Paul George again as a great duo but they added uh, Serge Ibaka and Nick Batum uh, for their bench and. They extended Luke Luke Kennard uh, as well just recently, and I know they lost Montrezl Harrell, but I, uh, but I still I still th- feel like at some point the talent on their roster is gonna come together, and they should be able to get to the West Finals. I I think they're the favorites to to face the Lakers at least, and they also have Lou Williams and Marcus Morris and Ivaka Zubak that are very great. Uh, starters slash sixth man players as well so i i'm gonna still say i know you're low on them, but i'm still gonna say the clippers even though <laughs> yeah I, they, I just they did not have a good ending to last season i can't buy into the clippers i hope i'm wrong about them because they should be the team just that's what, that's what i'm saying I'm, i think like, i wouldn't be surprised if they don't end up being that team but i feel like they really should still be that team they they really should be but i'm gonna go on a team that i feel a lot more confident in and that's the team that knocked the Clippers out of the playoffs last year, the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic is the best big man in the league, or at least he's the best true center ahead of Joel Embiid. You 
probably throw Anthony Davis above him, who he would have to stop if they meet in the Western Conference Finals again. But I, I really like what Denver did in the bubble. I really think that Jamal Murray is just going to continue to explode as he uh, starts to reach just superstardom in this league. I think Michael Porter Jr. is going to come out and continue to improve as well. He's probably my uh, one of my top picks for most improved player of the year. I can uh, see that. I'm I'm really high on that team. I think that you know Will Barton is he's a guy who uh, I also expect to contribute to them but Gary Harris in particular is a guy who I expect to kind of bounce back from a bad season I'm excited to see what they can do with Bull Bull who is uh they, oh, they drafted I, I, him I love Bull 2019 Bull, but unfortunately he yeah. only plays a couple minutes a game and I know much, I'm, I'm swear, excited to showed, see if he can do more he shows a lot of upside RJ Hampton is another guy they got him with the 24th pick he kind of feels like a Michael Porter Jr. where he just fell to a team after being way way um you know high up there in uh early season mock drafts like i i I think they can use him they 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 also got marcus howard and who he was exciting at marquette i don't know what to expect from him in terms of rookie season they also have monty morris who they they were able to lock up he's a really solid backup point guard he's someone who can coexist with jamal murray on the floor i like the denver nuggets roster i think that last year in the bubble proved that this is a team that can compete with the best of the best and uh i to me i don't know that they would actually beat the lakers but they're they'd be my pick if i had to yeah throw for the, somebody for, out there. for the record those were the two teams that i was torn on like 50 50 and i knew you wouldn't pick the clippers yeah. so i feel like you <laughs> know what i'll just go with the clippers and i do believe in their talent and their roster probably a little bit more than you so i'll just that's why i went with the clippers no, that that's totally fair. I think uh, I would have I would have uh, also been between those two teams, but you know I just, I couldn't bring myself to say Clippers because I don't want to be wrong about them again because it hurts <laughs> to be wrong about the Clippers. All right, so uh, with that, let's get into our predictions for the season. Let's start with awards and let's start at the top with the most valuable player. I'm gonna go with I think he's the favorite now. I think he I'm I'm gonna go with Luka Doncic. I think what he's done for his first couple of years in the league and what he did in the bubble last year was just outstanding. And I think he's only going to continue to improve and help the Dallas Mavericks win a lot more games. And uh, especially if Porzingis is back and healthy again, that that creates a great duo. And I, I feel like it's also really hard for Giannis to win MVP award three years in a row. I I, I don't I, I mean, agree like, with well, that. Michael Jordan yeah. the last time to do that? I don't... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that voters... They, you get MVP fatigue, and uh, I regardless... There, I think there definitely is MVP fatigue, and you want to vote for a different guy. And I yeah. I feel like the, the true contenders at MV, the MVP award are Giannis, uh, Luka, Harden if he stays in Houston and gets over the trade talks and, and or gets over his problems in Houston and... And then I think for the Lakers, I feel like LeBron and Anthony Davis are just both too good where you can pick one of those guys to actually win MVP, unless if one of them got hurt. I don't know. But so I, I feel like that hurts both their cases. So I I think Luka is, has a really good shot of winning MVP this year. Yeah, I, I also like Luka to win MVP. I think that the Mavericks are going to continue to ascend, and I think Luka Doncic is going to continue to ascend. He was a first-team All-NBA last season. This is 
him continuing his breakout. And uh, I do believe that Dallas is going to be really good because of Luka, and I think he'll be rewarded with the NBA most valuable player at the end of the season. So uh, next award, Rookie of the Year. So I'm going to go with Obi Toppin out of the, okay. for the Knicks. I think I think I think he's the man. I thought I think he was terrific at Dayton and he was college player of the year for or for he won tons of awards for player of the year and uh the Knicks are obviously not great and he's automatically one of their best players and I think he's just going to get all the playing time in the world and I feel like another another candidate someone like Wiseman is going to uh not get as much playing time. I feel like the Warriors are going to ease someone like him in. And I feel like Obi Toppin has the most upside and should be able to get the most playing time out of the, the, the top rookies this year. And I, uh, I, I like his chances. All right. Well, I was also going to pick Obi Toppin. Basically, the reasons <laughs> you said that I think he has a chance to, you know, get a lot of like a big role in New York, especially with uh, Tom Thibodeau as head coach now. But uh, because you picked Toppin, I don't want to pick the same guy for every single award. So I'm going to go with my other answer, which is Lamella Ball for the Charlotte Hornets. I think that I think Ball is going to be a very exciting player. I think he's going to be even better than his brother Lonzo. And I think in Charlotte, it's going to be kind of a similar opportunity for him to kind of step up and take over that star role. I know they gave Gordon Hayward big money, but Lamella Ball is the, the face of that franchise at this point. Like there's there's actual debates and conversations about who is mellow is it carmelo anthony or Lamelo ball and like this kid hasn't even played yet so and uh he he looked really solid in the preseason he made some awesome passes he he was knocking down threes i i'm, I'm excited to see him play i'm excited to see Toppin play too i think there's a lot of a lot of strong rookies uh anthony edwards the number one pick i don't think he's going to play as huge of a role in minnesota because of d'angelo russell and carl anthony towns like you said james wiseman having to compete with guys like stephen gurry and golden state draymond green even uh andrew wiggins so those top two guys to me i think they have a chance if they really explode but uh you know when i look at Toppin and ball they're the mans right away so i'm uh i'm, I'm leaning towards those two guys as well all right, um, and then the last award that we're gonna you know throw out, which we can still throw at others if you want, but let's uh let's get to this one first. Coach of the year. I'm gonna go with Eric Spolstra. I I feel I I love how the Miami Heat played last year and especially in the bubble up until of course beating the Celtics, but it was it was awesome to see how how they performed even without the superstar players. Now I know Jimmy Butler is. He's probably considered a superstar now, but I feel like before then, he was kind of borderline superstar kind of player, and I, I feel like all the players there are just really bought into the, their culture and, uh, and team basketball, and and I and I, I can see them definitely being one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, and I feel like Eric Spolster deserves to, someone that's as good of a coach as he is, deserves to be a coach of the year. Uh, and, and I know some of the, that case that I just made dates back to last season and it's an award for this year, but I, I, I feel like Eric Spolster has done a good, done a good job, uh, especially with, uh, not as much talent as he used to have, like with LeBron and D Wade and others. So, uh, I, I like him for coach of the year. He was always a guy that everyone said was an amazing coach 
you know, even after LeBron left, Chris Bosh retired, Dwayne Wade eventually out the door. Like, they weren't that same team that he won championships with. But we didn't really see it all come together. They made a couple playoff appearances. I think they won one playoff series before last season. And then they went all the way to the NBA Finals. So uh, I think Swolscher has really proved himself. And uh, he seems like a kind of guy where if the Heat continue to ascend and you know find themselves at the top of the, the Eastern Conference standings at the end of the season, he'll he'll absolutely be uh, among the favorites to win that award. Um, I'm going to go in a totally different direction, and I realize this might be a bit of a homer pick for me because they're my number two team, but I'm going with Stan Van Gundy of the New Orleans Pelicans. This feels like one where it can absolutely blow up in my face and just be disastrous, but I really liked him as a commentator on TNT. I think I, he's I, someone who's... I love, yeah, I, Stan, think, I love Stan Van Gundy, but I, I'll admit, maybe he's not the best coach, but yeah, I thought, no joke, maybe the bars sit a little bit low, but I legitimately thought he did a terrific job as a commentator. Yeah, TV. and I, I, I think awesome. he has a, he has so much insight. I think he's someone who's going to come in. He's going to be an immediate upgrade over Alvin Gentry in New Orleans. And I just think the Pelicans are going to be really solid this year. I think that Brandon Ingram, we saw him be an all-star. He won most improved player. I don't think he's going to regress. I think he's going to continue to be uh, you know, the great guy that everyone thought he was when the Lakers drafted him with the second overall pick a few years ago. Zion Williamson, like, Part of me wants to throw him out as most improved player, but he averaged 22 and a half points per game last year. I think like six rebounds or so. Like he's someone who put up great numbers. We just didn't get to see a lot of him. I think that he's going to be able to play this season. Says he won't be on a minutes restriction, and we're going to really see Zion Williamson start to uh, enter his name into that like stardom in the NBA picture. I think he's someone who's going to be an all-star this year. Uh, I, I really like what New Orleans is doing. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, to me is a drop-off from Drew Holiday, but he's not a significant one. And I, I I, think that him and Lonzo Ball, I'm hoping that they can kind of coexist together. And New Orleans has J.J. Redick as a really solid shooter, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Like, they have a lot of good pieces. Jackson Hayes, he played really well last season as a the backup center. And they also acquired Steven Adams, who is a phenomenal rebounder, and he's a guy who can get them points under the basket. So I'm, I'm optimistic on New Orleans' season, and I think uh, Sam and Gundy will be rewarded for piloting them to uh, a playoff berth. Even though Spolstra is a probably a bigger favorite to win the award, I, I like that pick a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, rookie head coaches kind of where I start to go to. I think Steve Nash, we talked about him. He's someone who could definitely win it if the Nets are good, which I expect them to be. Um, but, you know, I, I want to throw out Van Gundy because I feel like him leading New Orleans to the playoffs would be uh, well, well than, you know, more than enough to be well deserving of the award. So, any other award predictions you want to throw out there? Not really. I mean, I guess sixth man of the year award, I like, I like Montrez to win that award especially okay. being in he won it last now. year right or did lou williams end? no harold was in the running i think harold actually ended up winning it i know him and shooter were both up there and now they're both in the lakers of course so, yeah it was harold that won. so yeah i i'm gonna say he repeats then okay yeah i mean i i think that harold seems like a good pick but if i were to go with a six man i'd probably go with the other guy we mentioned dennis shooter i think he's well, assuming he comes off the bench for the Lakers, um, I think that he's someone who's going to really uh, be a, a big addition to that backcourt, and I think that he'll be he'll play a bigger role than Harrell, and that's going to get him the award. Um, anything else for not awards? Really, no. All right, 
Yeah. Um, so let's go into just playoff picks. Any kind of bold ones you want to throw out? You know, any teams that you think are going to maybe finish higher or lower than others might say? Or I got, I got two. I don't want to say they're super bold, but they're they don't have to be. I mean, super you can't bold. be. You can't. You can't. You can only be. You could be. You can only be so much bold in the NBA where I can't pick some random lottery team to win it all. I, it, I can only be so bold. Yeah. So my first bold pick is. I think the Phoenix Suns, given how they performed last year, and I know they didn't make the playoffs, but going undefeated in the bubble with the, the core of Booker and uh, DeAndre Aiden and then adding Chris Paul to their team, I think his leadership is going to really help the the young guys. And I'm, I'm kind of high on the Suns this year, so my bold call for them is uh, not only do they make the playoffs, I think they are a four seed and they lose eventually in the second round. West semis. Wow. Is that okay. bold? Given yeah, how that's given very how many bold. teams there are in the West, how good how good the West the is. The West is so good, yeah. I'm gonna I'll go I'm gonna go bold and say the Suns make a four make the second round and lose eventually to one of those top three teams we talked about. Uh okay. And then my other bold one, and I kinda hate to say this, but uh I think the Celtics are I don't want to say suck and not make the playoffs or anything, but I think they're going to drop off this year with Kemba being out until at least January. And I, I honestly could be longer. Uh, I think the knee issue is, is really bad. And I think Gordon Hayward losing him now, I know he didn't perform to what we all wanted as Celtics fans, but I, I, I still think it's going to be a, a sort of a loss now that he's not there. Tristan Thompson's already hurt. And, I know they brought Jeff Teague in, but I don't know how great Je- of a, a player Jeff Teague is at this point. I think he'll be solid, but I don't think he'll be great either. I feel he's like a good backup. I don't think he's someone who can replace Kemba Walker. Yeah, and I feel like they're just going to rely way too much on Tatum and Brown. I feel like that's going to eventually hurt their games a, a little bit later in the season. So my bold call is they lose in the first round, the Celtics, and they don't get a home playoff game. They they they're they're like a six seed and they lose in the yeah. first round. I'm going to, so I don't know if that's bold or not. No, I'm, I'm surprised that you said that as well. Um, I, I was also thinking the same thing. I'm not really high on the Celtics this season. I think the Bucks are still going to be up there. I think the Nets are going to be better. The Sixers going to be better, especially if they somehow acquire James Harden, uh, the Miami heat, the team that went to the NBA finals last year. I think they'll still be in the picture And the Toronto Raptors are another team where, it feels like they're, you know, they're they're not going to be any worse than they were last season when they took the Celtics to seven games in the Eastern Conference semis. So it feels like there's just a lot of good teams in the East, and like you said, you know, Kemba Walker's injury that's not a great way to start the season. Uh, I don't think all hope is lost, but I I also think that you know it's going to be tough for Boston and uh, that they're not going to win a playoff series. So uh, Another one for me. So I know you you said the Suns would go to the second round. So you know picking the Suns to make the playoffs is definitely not bold. Uh, I feel like picking the Pelicans to make the playoffs is, and um, I I'm also really high on the Dallas Mavericks this season. Obviously picking Luka Doncic to win MVP. I think they're going to be a top three team in the West, and I think that they're going to finish ahead of the Los Angeles Clippers. So. There's my bold one. We'll see. I, I just said the Nuggets are the, the biggest threat to the Lakers, but I wouldn't be shocked if Dallas beats Denver and uh, they actually make it to the Western Conference Finals. 
All right. Uh, so let's wrap it up with our conference finalist predictions and you know the our ultimate NBA champions. I'll go Lakers over the Clippers. I, I know you're lower on, lower on the Clippers, yeah. and I don't blame you, but I'll I'll still say they make it to the West Finals and but eventually lose. So I'll go Lakers over Clippers, and then the East. I'll go with the Nets over the Bucks, and then for the championship, I'm, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard to figure out who I'm gonna root for because uh, <laughs> I obviously don't like the Lakers, given I'm a Celtics fan, and I, and then for the Nets, I can't stand Kyrie, so it's just gonna be horrible uh, in terms of a rooting interest. But there'll definitely be a lot of drama, given that LeBron and KD have been always known as one of the as the top two players. Uh, for uh, many years and LeBron versus Kyrie given that they used to play in Cleveland together of course uh, I'm gonna go with the Lakers over the Nets like I said I'm super high on the Nets's chance Nets going deep into the playoffs but I still think eventually they'll implode and I feel like uh, there'll be a lot of adversity to overcome and and Kyrie will create a lot of drama in the locker room and I feel like at some point it's just gonna uh hurt them at some point and I I feel like the Lakers are really primed to repeat especially not just because of LeBron and Anthony Davis but uh, they added a lot of uh, depth to their roster as well like I said with Harrell and they added Marcus Saul I know Marcus Saul struggled at the end of last year but I still feel like he's got some left in the tank and they got uh, the other Morris brother and Kuzma and, and many others so I I think the Lakers are primed to repeat yeah I I I want to say that the Lakers aren't going to go to the finals, but it's really difficult for me to envision them not at least making it there. Um, I'm taking the Lakers over the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals once again. And in the East, I have the same conference finals matchup as you, but I like Milwaukee to beat Brooklyn. I really think that the Bucks, you know, with Giannis locked up, that something special is going to happen with them this year. I really like them bringing in Drew Holiday. I know I said that... Uh, Bledsoe is not a significant downgrade from Holiday, but Holiday is still an upgrade. I think he's going to, you know, help them on both sides of the floor. I really like Chris Middleton. I know you're not big on him, but he's someone who's going to continue to be a really solid number two option in Milwaukee. And Brook Lopez is another guy who's a really strong, versatile center. Uh, I like the Bucks to beat the Nets, and I'm just going to go ahead and pick them to beat the Lakers in the NBA Finals. I think this is finally the year that Giannis uh, leads Milwaukee to the promised land and silences all of the haters who said he chose uh, to never win a championship by signing an extension with them. So that was my prediction. What do I hope happens if if it's those teams, Bucks and Nets, and and then, and then Bucks Lakers? I hope the Bucks beat the, yeah. both those teams. Yeah. I definitely would root for that if if the Celtics don't make it make it far in the postseason. Yeah, so I'd be for that. Okay, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just picking what I'd be rooting for and not what I actually think will happen. But I don't know. I'm optimistic. I'm Milwaukee. So, all right, that will wrap things up for our NBA talk. Uh, we'll definitely be talking more as the regular season starts to get underway. But let's wrap up today's episode with our 2020 in sports recap. So 2020, like we said, it was an extraordinary year. Uh, A lot of stuff that we never saw happening. A lot of bad, but there was some good. 
and we'll be talking about some of the best and the worst things. And uh, let's start off with just kind of the generic honors. We did this last year. If you want to go back and uh, hear what we had to say about 2019 in sports, most of these honors were the same ones that we gave out. We also have some special awards specific to 2020 because 2020 deserves a lot of specific awards for a variety of reasons. But let's start off with the best or I guess the team of 2020. This one's probably too obvious, but I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs uh, winning the Super Bowl last year with an amazing offense that has led by Patrick Mahomes and receivers like Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins and then Travis Kelsey, best tight in the league. And they just have such a prolific offense that's really hard to stop. And it's not dating back to a few years ago or couple of years ago and and it's still good to this day and I feel like they're prime another team that's also primed to repeat as well and I uh they're all, pretty much I don't want to say unstoppable but they're they're as close as it gets uh in the NFL so I'm I'm going with the Chiefs as best team you know I think that they're very deserving of winning the best team for all those reasons but I'm going to throw out another team uh a team that you will not be happy about, but a team that I think is absolutely deserving of this award because of their own dominance in their sport, and that is the Los Angeles Dodgers. And in baseball, it is very rare that the team that on paper is the best actually performs like it, but the Dodgers throughout the entire season were absolutely the best team in Major League Baseball. In a 60-game season, much shorter than the normal 162 game season anything could happen all it took was you know one injury or just one one or two guys not performing to expectations and your season kind of falls off the rails the Dodgers were a super team and they did not let that happen to them they finished with the best record in baseball I believe they went 43 and 17 and they in the playoffs as a number one seed went all the way to the World Series and ultimately won their first championship in 32 years. Uh, to me, I think that, you know, is given that, given the fact that they were the best team all around from start to finish, uh, they are deserving of the team of 2020 title. All right. So the next honor is best game of 2020. So this one might not be a super popular choice. It's kind of a sneaky choice, but I remember when the, NBA playoff bubble started one of the games that I was really into was that play-in game between the Trailblazers and the Grizzlies when just back and forth the entire time uh Damian Lillard and uh John Morant were going both going off in that game as long as they're uh as long as the other backcourt backcourt guys and McCollum and and Dylan Brooks and there was also a great battle between Nurkic, Yusuf Nurkic and Jonas Valanciunas at the center position. Both guys uh, had near 20-20 games, 20 points and 20 rebound games, which is absurd. And I was just hyped about that game, and especially with everything that was going on this year. And it was great to get some competitive, not com- just competitive basketball again. And that was one of the games that I really remember from the bubble this year and that I enjoyed a lot, even though I had no rooting interest in that game. So uh, Grizzlies trailblazers play in game in the bubble is my top game. 
Yeah, I remember Portland jumped out to a huge lead and it looked like it was over. And then all of a sudden Memphis got back into it. I think the only weird thing about that game was they played it on a Saturday at 2.30 p.m., which was 11.30 a.m. local time in Portland. Uh, that felt like a kind of game that deserved a bigger spotlight, but it was certainly a, a fun one. And I think that that's the kind of game that showed why the NBA wants to continue that play-in uh, atmosphere going forward. So uh, for my best game, I'm sticking with baseball. I'm sticking with the Dodgers. And every time the Dodgers are in the World Series, they give us just an awesome game. And, you know, in 2017, they lost to the Astros 13 to 12 in 10 innings. A game that was just back and forth the whole way. 2018, their one win over the Red Sox was an 18 inning uh, walk off. And in 2020, game four, they ended up losing to the Rays, but it was an awesome one. Just back and forth. The Dodgers jumped out early. Uh, thanks to Max Muncie and uh, Corey Seager with a few big hits. But Tampa, you know, got back into it. They took a lead and then the Dodgers went back on top and just kept going back and forth until the bottom of the ninth inning when the Dodgers led seven to six and the Rays down two to one in the series. They fall behind three to one. They're in a really tough shape to be able to win this. And uh, they have Brett Phillips coming to the plate, who they acquired midseason from the Royals. He bad just 176 on the season. The unlikeliest of heroes. Comes up with a one-two count base hit into right field, and uh, you know, bit of a comedy of errors from the Dodgers ultimately leads in Randy Arozarena scoring the game-winning run. It, w- it was a moment that you're like, yes, this is why people love the sport of baseball still. This is why it has entertainment. This is why we're so happy that they put together some sort of a season, even if it was way longer to start than we would have hoped. Uh, this is the kind of game that I think anyone can watch and be like, okay, baseball can be entertaining, uh, especially on a big stage like the World Series. To me, that's why it's my game of the year. And no reaction to you because I talk about a baseball being exciting. Yeah, that and the Dodgers. The combination of both yeah. of those is just like, yeah, I've, I've got no reaction. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, let's move on now. Biggest superstar. All right, so for biggest superstar, this is probably way too obvious of a choice, but I can't think of many people, many other people that had an enjoyable 2020 than Patrick Mahomes. He wins the Super Bowl, wins Super Bowl MVP, gets paid a half a billion dollar contract, and then this year he's on pace to win another MVP award and maybe even another Super Bowl and Super Bowl MVP award again. So I'm going to, it's too obvious, but. I, I again can't think of many people who've had a great great and he's also ha- having his first uh child uh soon which I know is Yeah, he got engaged in 2020. Yeah, he got he engaged part owner of the Royals just for fun. So yeah, he's having the time of his life in 2020 while everyone else is not exactly, but too obvious <laughs> yeah. of a choice but I'm sticking with it. Mahomes uh definitely <sighs> the biggest superstar. Yeah, I'm I'm disappointed you went with him because like I I also think it's Patrick Mahomes, but I think that we would be remiss if we don't throw out a guy who, uh, you know, very well also can, you know, lay claim to this award, and that's LeBron James uh, winning a championship for the Lakers, you know, in the bubble, uh, especially all the off the court stuff. You know, 2020 was a year of progress. It was a year where, uh, you know, we realized there are a lot of issues in our society, and I think LeBron James was really uh, at the forefront of that. Patrick Mahomes was as well. He he definitely played a role um, in you know NFL getting to where they are but you know the nba made so many big strides they had 
NBA arenas open for voting. They were, uh, you know, hyping up. I don't know if hyping up is the right word, but they were, they were every like game they were talking about register to vote and, you know, all this stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, LeBron James kind of walk threatening to walk out of the bubble, uh, I think played a big part of that. And the fact that he won a championship to me, I think he's very deserving of winning biggest superstar. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, awesome year for him. I want to give it to him as well, but you know, I want to, I want to add some variety here and uh, I want to prove that I can say something nice about LeBron James every once in a while. That was the other choice I was thinking of, but I'm sticking with Mahomes. Yeah, no, I think that's 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 reasonable as uh, for you to throw out Mahomes. So, all right, breakthrough athlete of the year. We talked about him earlier, and I, I loved how Jamal Murray performed in the bubble last year. He, and I know Jokic is arguably arguably the best player on the Nuggets, but I feel like Jamal Murray was the biggest reason why they were able to come back three to one versus Utah and then three to one versus the Clippers as well. And I, I love how he's performed over, over the years. And I, I would make a, it's probably too hot of a take. And I think I've said it before, but I would make a case that he was the number one pick in the year he was drafted in 2016. I'm, I know it's probably too hot takeish, but I, uh, looking at the players above him, I, I would make a case for him. Uh, being drafted ahead of those guys, and I think he's only getting better. So Jamal Murray is my pick for breakthrough athlete. You know, when you said we talked about him earlier, I was like, oh, here we go again, another one where the we have the same pick. And then you you kind of went with a you know wild card pick there with Jamal Murray. I feel like you're overthinking it when you're talking about a guard in the NBA who broke through in 2020. To me, it's Luka Doncic. He was just unbelievable this year. Uh, first team All NBA, and I think his his huge moment was his his walk off buzzer, buzzer beater against beater, the yeah. Clippers in Game Four of the Western Conference quarterfinals. I think that Luka Doncic is only going to continue to ascend. Jamal Murray is an awesome pick. Like he's someone who I agree. Like I'm high on the Nuggets because of Jamal Murray, but to me the the breakthrough guys. Like we already started to I'll, see so that. I'll I mean, admit, he won I, Rookie of the Year. I, I picked but, I picked Murray because I I'll admit just to mix it up a bit because I already talked about Doncic and yeah. for MVP and Lillard was also great. But I mean feel like we we already know he's great so he hasn't yeah i mean he didn't break through but yeah, yeah i mean to me but he was th- no, he was amazing in the bubble though <laughs> yeah um another guy i throw out you know i didn't want to do too many baseball but randy rosarena for the tampa bay rays had a phenomenal postseason most home runs by any player in mlb playoff history um he also had a, a bit of a domestic dispute um, that you know, charge was ultimately dropped, but that was something that happened after the World Series. So, um, you know, certainly something to to watch with him. But he's someone who's also deserving of that award. All right, best moment. Uh, this is another sneaky choice. Uh, I, I, I for best moment, I went with Steven Stamkos uh, scoring the the goal in the only two minutes he played in the postseason. I think it sucks that someone as good as he is didn't really get to uh, have much of uh, an impact on the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Stanley Cup, but I think the players on the roster uh, have a lot of respect for him, and I think a lot of people in hockey uh, and hockey fans have a lot of respect for for him and his game, and he he only played two minutes, but he made the most of it, and he scored Mm -hmm. the goal, and all of his teammates... uh, went up to him and really felt happy for him and congratulated him for the goal. And I thought that was really cool. So, so the Steven Stamkos goal, best moment. 
you know, I, I, I thought about going with this one as well. It was a shame that he couldn't be uh, a bigger part of the Lightning, you know, finally winning a Stanley Cup. But they, they showed you how much they he meant, meant to them when they let him be the first guy to, to hold the cup after winning during the celebration. Um, so my best moment is actually something that happened before the pandemic. It was actually right before in early March, and it's from college basketball. So in 2015... Uh, Josh Speidel was a three-star recruit who committed to the University of Vermont, play for the Catamounts basketball. And shortly after he committed, he suffered a traumatic brain injury in a car accident. And he was basically told that he would spend you know, 24 hours every day of his life on some kind of life support and assisted living and he uh would never have a normal life again but he he overcame the odds and he eventually got an opportunity to be involved with the vermont basketball team and on senior night uh this year back in march he scored a basket to start the game uh, something that was just an un- unbelievable moment. Everyone on, uh, you know, the University of Albany, their opponents you know, on the floor was congratulating him. The whole team, like whole arena, the ref stopped play. It was just like a really awesome moment just to be able to see a guy who overcame so much in his life to be able to say for the rest of his life that he scored a basket in a college basketball game. And uh, it, for Vermont, I mean, that's it's not a big school, but they're they're really really good college basketball program so i think that's a really special moment that he got to have there and to me that's my best moment of 2020 good choice all right (laughs) so uh let's uh you know before we kind of get into specific honors let's have a couple negative 2020 awards so the first one what was the biggest mistake of the year before i say mine would you like to guess what you think mine is no, I kind of want you to say All right. it. I don't want to okay. guess it. Uh, well, for biggest mistake, I went with the Patriots letting go of Tom Brady. <laughs> as oh, big... yeah. No, it didn't even occur to me. Yeah. But yeah I thought I thought you would get it. Um, yeah, I think that was just a big mistake, of course, letting go of the greatest quarterback of all time and not showing the appreciation for him by just letting him play the rest of his career as a New England Patriot and letting him go to become a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. And then just seeing how the year played out and how Bel it's not only just letting go of Tom Brady, but just how they ha- how Belichick handled the roster, especially at the quarterback position, the most important position in sports, by bringing in Cam Newton. And I like him. I again, I like Cam Newton as a as a guy. I feel like he's been um, just really really great with uh, in his interviews and comes off as a nice guy. But he's been Pretty bad outside of the second half of the Seattle game back in week two, three months ago now. And five touchdowns, ten interceptions. It just not not what you want to see out of out of the quarterback play. And now they're officially eliminated from the playoffs and Brady's on his way to the playoffs. Now I know the Bucks haven't been great all year, but hey, one guy's in the playoffs and we're not. So uh that's that's the biggest mistake for me. Or in my opinion for twenty twenty. You know, I, I I'm I'm definitely happy that the the Patriots made that mistake. Uh, you know, I, I think it might be 
too early to totally give up on the idea of this working out in the end, but it's hard to envision Cam Newton being this team's, you know, a successful quarterback for this team long term. So uh, it's definitely going to be tough seeing the, the Patriots just, you know, fall down as far as they have while Brady continues to have success elsewhere. Um, for me, my biggest mistake, it's another baseball one, another Tampa Bay one, and it is uh, Kevin Cash pulling Blake Snell in Game 6 of the World Series with Snell dealing through uh, five and a third innings pitched. He had only given up two hits, and he had nine strikeouts. And, uh, the you know, it it was a game where the Rays had to win it. They were down 3-2 to two in the series, and they're up one to nothing when – Snell gets pulled by cash because that's what the computers told him to do. Because analytics say that a pitcher can't the third face, time around can't go three times around in the lineup. Yeah, and uh, even though the the top of the order, uh, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, and it was I think Justin Turner, Justin Turner, yeah, were zero for six with six strikeouts against Cash. To to that point, I don't even blame uh, Kevin Cash for the move. He was just reading the handbook and was told that, hey, we got to take this guy out at this point in the game. And I feel bad for him that that he gets the crap for it. But, yeah, just a brutal no, decision. He I just get it. I get the concept of it. But in that moment, you know, and immediately the guy who comes in, Nick Anderson, gives up two runs, and all of a sudden the Rays are down 2-1, to one, ultimately lose 3-1. to one. But, you know, when a guy is pitching that well, it's like – and I don't know if you're going to have the same reaction. If, if Snell, say, like Mookie Betts comes up and he gives up a home run to him and now the Dodgers go up 2-1, to one, I don't think you have the same reaction as Snell being pulled and the reliever coming in and giving up runs. To me, that's that's what the issue is here. I think in that moment, there's there's got to be some kind of situational awareness with it. And I think that analytics should be used it, as a tool, but they shouldn't be used as an all The analytics have, have gone too far now. To the point mm-hmm. where it's just it's a bad product, and they and Theo Epstein, the best what GM of our time, uh, building the uh, a World Series team for the Red Sox and Cubs, two teams that haven't hadn't won for so long, and helping both those teams win games. Even he, after he stepped down, said, "Hey, we the analytics analytics have gone too far, and it's time to put the the game back into the players' hands." and so even he recognizes the problems going on, and yeah, it's it's just gone too far. No, even you know, Tim. What's Kirchin, the point of having an actual manager if the, even Tim Kirchin, the biggest fan of baseball I can think of, even he came on after the game on ESPN saying that it's gone too far. And so if, if he can say <laughs> that, then I, I yeah, I feel like it's yeah that people should agree with that. You know, I think it's one of those moments that just got everyone talking about analytics and, uh, you know, talking about what what this move meant. And uh, to me, that that's why this is the biggest mistake. And ultimately, it turned out to be the wrong decision in, in theory because the Rays ended up giving up the lead right away. So, uh, all right, last standard honor. Uh, this is one we did last year. And Antonio Brown and Kyrie Irving were the uh, winners of this one. Who's it going to be this year, the biggest loser of 2020? I honestly considered Kyrie Irving again just because of, uh, <laughs> remember earlier in the year when, when during the break, when he said, hey, 
Uh, we shouldn't come back to. We shouldn't be going to Orlando and playing the bubble, given the social issues, and then and then saying we we should form our own league, and then <laughs> and then yeah. uh, the saging that he he's been doing in uh, arenas and what he's going to be continuing to do and drives me nuts. Uh, but I'm not going to pick him again. Uh, this one's kind of a unique answer, but I'm going to go with Boston sports as biggest loser of 2020. Okay. I, I already talked about the Patriots' uh, bad play this year and what happened with Brady and everything. But the Red Sox, they give up Mookie Betts, and maybe we we can sort of agree on the decision, but at the same time, Mookie Betts just won a World Series of the Dodgers, and it just looks really bad on their part. Uh, and then the Celtics... And the Red Sox are like one of the worst Yeah, and the Red Sox just finished like near dead last this year, too, as well. And then... And then with the Celtics, yes, they make the East Finals, but they lose to a five seed in the Heat. Maybe we underrated them, but still, losing to a five seed in the East Finals, a team that they should have beat, uh, and throwing chairs in the locker room at each other, and Brown Smart getting getting at it, and it, and they 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 look like they're not gonna, like I said, they're not gonna even improve this year. They're gonna decline this year. So, uh, I didn't like how they finished. Uh, their their postseason uh, for the Celtics, and then for the Bruins, they were President Trophy winners, but then they lose in the second round to a better team, uh, a team that's in the Tampa Bay Lightning that was it wasn't even close of a series. They lost in five, and they they're only getting older older, and their Stanley Cup window is only shrinking, and it might be already shrunk completely. It it might be already over, and I I think Boston sports in general. I think all four teams. You can make a case that it's it's heading south quickly for all four of them right now. So they're the biggest loser of twenty twenty. You know, it it really was a bad year for Boston sports. I'm glad that I'm only a fan of a couple of those teams because that does sound pretty miserable. Although Pittsburgh sports, it's hard to <laughs> hard to say it's been a huge success. You know, especially with the way the Steelers have gone, with the Pirates being the worst team in baseball, and the Penguins <laughs> losing in the the playing round in the bubble. Uh, but I'm gonna give it to a person, and this is also maybe an uh an off the beaten path unique answer, and that is. Tennis star Novak Djokovic. I was thinking about putting him too. Really? <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm glad. I'm glad that you were kind of I felt like I could provide more page. insight on the Boston stuff, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was, in terms of persons, I was thinking about him. So I'll yeah, let you continue. And- Sorry. <laughs> Djokovic, he, his year got off to a good start. He won the Australian Open in January. Uh, and then when the pandemic hit in March, he actually, him and his wife actually donated, I think, a million euros to, uh, you know, some of the efforts. Um, I don't know specifically what for, but you know, I I assume some kind of you know healthcare workers or small businesses or whatever. Uh, so he got off to a good start, and then uh, in June things started to go downhill for Mr. Djokovic. He uh, hosted a tennis tournament in Serbia, his his uh, native country, as well as Croatia, and. Not a lot of social distancing, not a lot of mask wearing at this. And wouldn't you know, a ton of people, including himself and his wife, test positive for COVID. He uh, very deservedly ended up earning the nickname Novak Djokovic this year. Uh, <laughs> like, really, really, uh, really tough start for him. Just like a real, real total loser. Uh, but it, it got worse. And even when normal tennis gets back on the court at the U.S. Open this year, He's the number one overall seed, and in the fourth round, he's uh, 
he loses a point in the first set to go down five to six and he angrily hits a ball and it's it, hits it seemed like an like a judge it, it seemed like yeah an it was an accident but he accidentally hit someone in a throat and the U.S. Open rules say, all right, you have to default the match. So he's gone, just eliminated. Didn't even lose the match. He just, him, his own frustration just decided to, you know, hit the tennis ball and <laughs> hit it right at a, a judge. And, uh, yeah, he, that was the end of his U.S. Open. And then finally, with one last chance to get things right, he was in the French Open final and loses to Rafa Nadal, my goat, my king. Uh, and I don't that, I don't like tennis the... at all, but I, I I'm more of a Federer guy, so I it, it hurt when uh, I hate Djokovic. Okay, so, okay. so I I love I love this pick. I was since I'm not really a tennis fan, I decided to pass on it. But I was I was thinking about it just, but I felt like I could provide provide more insight on the the other unique answer of the Boston stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I love that pick. I don't like Djokovic either, and I'm not even again not even a tennis guy, but. No, but any- I like Nadal. I I think I used the term I'm a tennis acknowledger on the podcast yeah, that, a couple of years ago. Like I I would put uh, myself in that in that class as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I enjoy watching Rafa Nadal, and I I definitely enjoy watching Rafa Nadal beat Novak Djokovic. So, uh, yeah, Djokovic. He really put the joke in his last name this year. That's a great great pick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go to more uh, 2020 specific awards. Uh, you know, 2020 was certainly uh, be defined by the coronavirus pandemic, but it'll also be defined as a year where uh, there a lot of progress was made, especially in the United States, and sports was not unique to it. So, uh, what is your uh, biggest accomplishment in progress of 2020? I went with I don't know if you heard about this, but at Vanderbilt there was a female kicker by the name of Sarah Fuller yep. became the first female player to play in a college football game. And I think that's great. And I think in a, a power five, division right? One power five. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that's something that could trend even just a little, little upward with just have multiple teams have females on their, on their team uh, as their kicker or, or punter or whomever. I think that's great that, something like that happened. I think that's true progress heading in the right direction for college football and females in, in sports like that. So yeah, that's my biggest accomplishment progress. Yeah. I think, I think that was an awesome moment. Um, I didn't write that down, but I, you know, I, I think that's a good one to shout out. Um, and she even made an extra point in, in one of the games kicking so that, you know, I think she became the first to score as well because of that. Um, so for me, I, I have two, uh, one of them, which it's an older one. So this is my official answer. That's NASCAR bans the Confederate flag from tracks. Uh, I think that NASCAR is a sport that's certainly got a reputation, just uh, having a lot of its fan base in the South. And I think it's it's kind of a huge moment that NASCAR kind of was able to get get behind this and to me it's a big thing for nascar to do because you want to grow the fan base immediately to do this and all of a sudden bubba wallace who i think he was the only black driver he starts to get super hyped up and gains such a huge following with people who they wouldn't otherwise be a nascar fan and uh i i think it one one guy i thought about throwing out as my biggest loser his name's uh, ray sicarelli he tweeted 
uh, that he was retiring from NASCAR because of the Confederate flag ban. And uh, NASCAR responded saying, dude, we had to look you up. We don't even know who you are. <laughs> like, uh, to me, I think that NASCAR doing this was huge. I think Alvin Kamara was a player who, like, he suddenly became a huge NASCAR fan after this. And um, they brought him out to tracks. Like, I think it's, it's only a good thing for the sport for them to get rid of this. And uh, as the father of uh, famous NASCAR driver Ricky Bobby told his son, if you ain't first, you're last. And I can tell you the Confederates did not finish first in the Civil War. So finally uh, time to get them them out of there. Um, and then another one I want. Oh, yeah, if you want to add anything no i wasn't gonna add anything i was oh okay <laughs> I, I you started leaning well, the mic. i was about uh, to so i was gonna say my most infamous moment was no the, so i i do want to yeah. kind of just add one thing though yeah. so uh in terms of uh another thing so um i i think it's really awesome that major league baseball finally is recognizing the negro leagues as a major league i think it's kind of ridiculous that it took this long but uh you know very well deserving like those guys absolutely could have played in major league baseball that's something that was proven right away when you know satchel page and jackie robinson show up and Roy campanella and all these guys and immediately start winning mvps and world series so uh, i think it's it was only a matter of time so i'm uh, very happy that the the negro league is finally getting that major league recognition Okay, so you want to move on now? Um, most infamous moment? So my most infamous moment was the Bubba Wallace noose moment where after the Confederate flag stuff was uh, removed from NASCAR-specific events, there was a noose found uh, days later in Bubba Wallace's garage. Now, it luckily, it, it turned out that it was just a giant coincidence and it wasn't intended for him exactly but at the time it, it it just seemed like a despicable thing to happen given mm-hmm. what was being accomplished and removing let's be honest the confederate flag is like what the most racist kind of symbol that we have in yeah like, i mean i would i would have to think it's up there yeah yeah so so for that to happen just after uh, the talks of the Confederate flag being removed, I, I just thought that was despicable. And luckily, the aftermath wasn't as bad as I expected, but I still thought that was uh, just just terrible in the moment. So that's that was my choice for yeah, <laughs> coincidentally well, as, for for infamous moment. As part of the aftermath, you know, Bubba Wallace got accused of, you know, being like Juzzy Smollett was the, you know, the. Oh, I the remember that. Yeah. There. So, yeah, I mean, it, it just it turned out to be a really, really horrible moment, and uh, you know, it's it's something that uh, it, you know, it just the way that everything played out, it was just it was bad for a lot of reasons. Um, my most infamous moment is uh, one that you know it's a lot more funny than the one you threw out, and that was uh. So, I mean, I guess you know, the not funny part is uh, Tom Brenneman got caught using a gay <laughs> slur on a hot mic. But then the uh, the the best part was, <laughs> you, know, you know, he's apologizing uh, during the game when he finds out. And uh, his, his mid-apology, he announces a home run call. Just, <laughs> just a, uh, awesome, awesome moment, you know, for everyone else and uh you know, Tom Brenneman was uh he like you said, he he may never wear that headset again and he uh he's no longer 
calling games for the Cincinnati Reds, no longer calling games to the NFL, but he somehow found a job in the uh, Roberto Clemente League in Puerto Rico, which doesn't feel like a good look for that league at all. But uh, he definitely gave us a quality soundbite and something that every time it's referenced, everybody loves. That's a good choice. All right. So uh, this next one, I know we talked about this before we recorded because you uh, you didn't have great answers for this. So best only in 2020. For me, I'm going to give a stat and then you can kind of go off on this um, in terms of the best only in 2020 moment. So for me... Uh, so this is kind of a personal one and part of the reason why I threw this out here. So the Pittsburgh Pirates finished 19 and 41. They had the worst record in Major League Baseball. All 19 of their wins came against playoff teams. And that's something that can only happen in 2020, you know, presumably, uh, you know, in theory this could only happen because the uh, you know, the Pirates played only central division foes and all four other teams in the NL central made the playoffs and three teams in the AL central made the playoffs. And they two that didn't get in that they played the tigers and the Royals, they went own six against. So everyone they else they played, you know, when they won games, they beat teams and actually made it to the playoffs. And yet they were the worst team in baseball. So sat, you'll never see again, but I think it's a pretty funny one. Yeah. So for my Best 2020, not stat, best 2020, only in 2020 moment. I went with the Daniel Jones run. If you remember that, it was versus the Eagles uh, Thursday yeah, night. Yeah, so it was more like a, the most 2020. Yeah, moment. most 2020. I sh- Yeah, I should have re- referenced that earlier. But yeah, most 2020 type of play or moment <laughs> this year where yeah. Daniel Jones, he breaks off for an 80 yard run and he's got a lot of speed for some you'd think someone like him wouldn't have that as that much speed but he, he's much faster than people give him credit for and he he's he's housing it and then all of a sudden he trips on his own feet and <laughs> just that was like the most daniel jones time kind of thing too as well and it i feel like that that play kind of uh resembles how 2020 has gone this year yeah, I mean that <laughs> the eighty something yard run, and it's not for a touchdown. It you know something bad has to happen, and <laughs> that was a that was that was a hilarious moment. I'm pretty sure his Giants teammates were laughing. Yeah, they, they after were, that they, happened. Luck, luckily, they scored, but eventually, yeah. but yeah, they were they were laughing uh, after that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially for that to happen on Thursday night football primetime game where everyone's watching, like that just makes it even worse. So. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, best best twenty you know moment that best describes twenty twenty. So, uh, all right, next one. The uh, so in in twenty twenty we all spent a lot of time at home alone, probably online, and uh, it's naturally you're going to come across a lot of great social media follows. So, who was the best social media follow of twenty twenty? So for for me personally, uh, I'm someone that definitely follows. I guess let me just clear this. Oh, is yeah, like yeah. sports related. Yeah. Just sports sports related specific, like all the other ones. So Yeah, it's sports related, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just for the listeners. Yeah. So um so for me personally, uh I'm someone that obviously follows the PGA tour a lot. And one guy on Twitter that I came across that I found to be hysterical, uh guy named Eddie Eddie Pepperell on the European tour. And uh he has um 
plenty of funny tweets and I'll even tell you a couple of them that uh, people can relate to a little bit. Uh, one tweet he had, and both of these are kind of uh, trashing Trump a little bit. Uh, one that I found pretty funny. Uh, so back in September, Trump was in the news for not paying taxes. And then so Eddie Pepperell tweets out, so me and Trump are going to have something in common this coming year, paying no taxes <laughs> because Eddie Pepperell's uh, not the, exactly the best golfer uh, on yeah. tour exactly. Uh, so I, I just found it funny that uh, he's grabbing on his own game. But the other one that I found even funnier, uh, when Trump uh, lost the election, Trump tweeted out in capital letters, I won this election by a lot. Uh, and then Eddie Pepperell, uh, replied to him saying, I was one under through two holes at Augusta last year. So that means Tiger Woods stole my green jacket. <laughs> <laughs> so he's hysterical. I, I, he's the man. And that's the only reason yeah. why I follow him. Uh, he's not the greatest right. golfer exactly, but he's hysterical on Twitter. So, yeah, I mean, for a lot of, a lot of athletes, they, they, can gain a big presence just being great on Twitter, uh, even if they're not as great on the actual field or court. Um, so my my best social media follow of 2020, and uh, it's really not that close to me, is Joey Molinero. And he is someone who I first kind of like got exposure to him uh, back in February when he made a lot of videos uh, making fun of Colin Coward. And I think in particular one was uh, him, you know, ripping on Baker Mayfield. And he's, he's a really good impressionist. And I think that when I saw that, I assumed he was a Browns fan. But then, uh, you know, shortly after the pandemic started, he was hired by Barcel Sports. And I found out that he was actually a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And uh, I think it's it's been awesome just kind of uh, being able to see his content and he's he's just a funny guy like he's always doing great impressions and he'll do these hilarious videos with some of his friends and uh of course he'll talk about the pittsburgh steelers and uh, i think it's been it's been great he was the leader of the uh the big ben revenge tour and uh i think that he's someone who's he's definitely been a, a bright spot in 2020 for me i'm disappointed that he's not a fan of other pittsburgh sports teams but i'll take the steelers for sure and uh, he's someone that I look forward to seeing what he continues to put out in the future in 2021 and beyond. All right. So our last specific honor. And uh, this is a story or moment that will be most discussed well beyond 2020. One thing that, so I got a couple of things. One thing that I think will be, discussed beyond this year is uh more tournaments in bubbles because the fact even though there is a vaccine now it's still very likely that we'll be in this hellhole pandemic for s- several more months and because of that i think we'll still be we'll still be seeing tournaments especially the college basketball tournament uh is going to be in a bubble this year and there's there's still a decent chance that we could see the NBA and NHL maybe still maybe being a bubble again for the playoffs. Uh, it was both of those sports were gave us uh, as best of entertainment as possible. And if the out, 
if outbreaks still happen, then I can see that happening. And then may- maybe Major League Baseball as well. I hope I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope by then we'll be done with all this. But who knows? Maybe the yeah. maybe baseball will also be uh, being forced to play in another bubble. I don't know. I I feel like that's yeah. going to be a story in sports that will still be be will still be discussed into twenty twenty one. Mm-hmm. No, the bubbles were definitely a big, big part of 2020 and sports being successful. Like, I can't imagine they would totally go away until this uh, virus is more under control. So, oh, and so, th- and then the other story that I think will be even talked about beyond 2020, and not just not just now, but like into 2030 and 2040 and so on. Uh, this past weekend, uh, there was a father-son uh, golf tournament. The PNC, I think it was PNC Championship. I don't know the remember the exact name for the tournament, but Tiger Woods and his son Charlie Woods uh, took part in it. And Charlie Woods, eleven years old, and is already way better at golf than both of us and many, many, many other people. And probably anyone listening to this, like eleven years old, he eagled a par five. Eagled like- a par five, hit a five wood. <laughs> on the green and he's 11 years yeah. old and he has the same exact mannerisms as tiger woods with his stance and uh his fist pumps and and just everything it's literally a 11 year old same, clone both wore sunday red yeah and then like, the red as well yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it, it was kind of incredible seeing him uh play and obviously he has access to things at 11 years old that most 11 year old golfers don't have but the fact that he's playing at that high of a level already uh, i can certainly see charlie woods being a name on the pga tour in the future you know down the line like you said you know maybe 10 years from now or so but uh you know i don't think that just because tiger might not be playing anymore we're not gonna see a woods on the tour so uh for me my uh my story i guess that's going to uh, be discussed well beyond 2020 is LeBron James winning a championship in the bubble. And I think that, you know, long after, you know, COVID is a thing, you know, whether we have bubbles again in the future, I think that this is something that's always going to be tied to his legacy. Some people will call it the hardest championship anybody has ever won in the NBA history. Others will say it was an easy Mickey Mouse championship. He's three, six and one all time in the finals. And I think as you (laughs) continue to compare him, yeah, as you continue (laughs) to compare him to Michael Jordan, I think this is something that's constantly going to be talked about and it's either going to help him or hurt him, uh, depending on what side of that argument you fall on. And I think that, uh, for that reason, this is going to be talked about for a very long time. Yeah, I I'm kind of in the middle of that where I don't I'm not gonna say three six and one, but I'm also not gonna say hardest championship either. Just given what transpired with the Clippers and that once they lost, you kind of felt like they the Lakers were gonna win it all. Yeah, they definitely. I mean, they they like I keep saying they won the war of attrition, but they uh they certainly you know in terms of their path themselves to get to the finals, it was not the most difficult. Um, you know, it was obviously a unique circumstance that nobody had ever been in before, and uh, you know, I think it because it's something that can't be compared easily, just like Jordan and LeBron can't be compared easily. I think it's going to continue to uh, be discussed, you know, well beyond twenty twenty. All right, so that will wrap things up for our 2020 in sports recap as well as our final episode of 2020. So 
Brian, it has been a pleasure uh, continuing to do these podcasts with you. Uh, we've definitely gone through some transformations with He's Done It, but uh, it's, it's been a fun time. And I, I certainly hope we continue doing this uh, into 2021 and beyond. I agree as well, for sure. So uh, we'll be back again in January, ready to talk NFL playoffs and more. So uh, until then, for Brian Wells, I'm Corey Navani. Thanks, everyone. 